Three days ago I was standing on a glacier, freezing to death, and now I'm here. I don't know what's wrong with me. So, Canada was lovely, and uh, I almost never came back. But we're here. Let's, uh, let's go to God in prayer. Father, I pray that your voice would go out this evening to these people who you've gathered here, and that they would hear you speak, and that they would know your voice. Father, I pray that you would silence all other voices, that you would take away all the distractions, and that you would give us um, a rich measure of your spirit that we could feel and taste and know, touch your presence here among us. Thank you for your great love for us. Thank you for bringing us here. In Jesus' name, amen. Finishing up the book of Titus, this evening, and um, and I want to start with um, Titus chapter two, verse fifteen, and then read the entire chapter three. It says, "These then are the things you should teach, encourage, and rebuke with all authority. Do not let anyone despise you." Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, and to show true humility toward all men. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by His grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. But avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and arguments and quarrels about the law because they're unprofitable and useless. Warn a divisive person once, and then warn him a second time, and then have nothing to do with him. You may be sure that such a man is warped and sinful. He is self-condemned. As soon as I send Artemis and Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis, because I have decided to winter there. Do everything you can to help Zenos the lawyer and Apollos on their way and see that they have everything they need. Our people must learn to devote themselves to doing what is good, 
in order that they may provide for daily necessities and not live unproductive lives. Everyone with me sends you greetings. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. When Ron spoke a few weeks ago about the role of elders, he um, touched on some of the responsibilities that Eric and I have and the requirements of um, that God places on us as leaders. And in this passage, at the very end of Titus chapter 2, Paul is instructing Titus and he's saying, you need to teach and you need to do that two ways, encourage and rebuke. And he's telling Titus that the Cretans need to be instructed, they need to be taught about the ways of God. And and so he needs to do that, and um, teaching takes those two forms. And I, and I love that, because teaching takes the form of encouragement. I don't know about you, but I love that aspect of being taught. When someone encourages me, when someone says, Rod, you do this well. Rod, you go this path. You're, you're doing really well here. Rod, um, thank you for the way in which you are walking or, or I identify that, the, those, uh, good qualities in you. And, and, um, it's kind of like a compliment. You know how somebody compliments you and you can kind of ride that for, for like a month sometimes when, when you're just like, you know, life is hard and then somebody says, Hey, you're doing well. Um, and you ought to keep doing this, right? And that's kind of the nature of encouragement. And, and, and so when we see good behaviors, we, we kind of pour on, right? Um, I remember the first time I preached, the very, very first sermon I preached, um, it was on the theme of encouragement. And, and afterwards, nobody said anything. And so I was like, ooh, <laughs> it was that bad, was it? <laughs> And, and, uh, so you don't know what to do with that, right? No, nobody said anything. And then a, a week went by and, and then we had a meeting and, and, and I was feeling pretty discouraged. And, and, and then somebody said, Ron, that, that sermon was really good. I, I forgot that you were a beginner. And, and that was really great. And, and you should do it again. And, and pretty soon, oh, and then they all started kind of jumping in. And, and, and that, was, that encouragement, I think, is one of the reasons why I preach today. It's, it's because of that encouragement, because somebody said, you did that well. You, you, you did good. I, I didn't know you hadn't, that that was your first time. That, that was kind of cool, right? And so that whole sense of encouragement is helpful. And we're called to do that for each other, to, to, to teach each other. And, and, and I hope you experience that from Eric and from me and from all those who lead here in the village. The second word is not so fun. The the rebuke part, right? I, I love to be encouraged, uh, rebuke, not so much. When somebody says, Rod, stop that. It's just wrong. You're just messing up. You need to do something different. You, that's not the right way. Uh, a while back we, we talked about the, the woe to you of 
that Jesus uses when he talks to the Pharisees. And that phrase, what it meant was, oh my, oh my, do you, do you know what direction you're going? Do, do you know how painful this is going to be? I, I don't want you to walk that path. And so even when we rebuke, we can rebuke sharply, but, but we can rebuke and we can do it in such a way that the person will hear and say, oh, okay, you're right. I shouldn't be doing that. It's painful. It's hurtful. Um, so, so Paul instructs Titus as a leader to, to both do uh, encouragement and to rebuke and to teach in that way. And then it says, with all authority. Right? We're called to do this with authority. Um, and that's hard. That's hard for your leaders. It's hard for those who are speaking into your life to do so with authority. But that authority doesn't come because of who I am. That authority comes because of who God's called me to be. He calls me to be an elder in this church, to be a ruler in this church, very much a king. Take that aspect. And that's kind of counter our culture. We don't, we don't think that way. We're to speak with authority. And then Paul says, and don't let anybody despise you. Don't let anybody look down on you. Don't let anybody just ignore you and pretend that it doesn't matter. Don't, don't let that happen. And in some ways, that's kind of beyond our control, right? I mean, it's like people despise me, they despise me. But to live my life in such a way, and for Eric to live his life in such a way, and for the other leaders to live their lives in such a way that we respect and honor them. Don't let people despise you. We're to be subject to authority, and in verse uh, 1 of chapter 3, we're called to be, in subje- uh, to be subject to rulers and authorities, not only in the church, in this community, but in the culture at large, we're to respect the police, we're, we're to respect our government, we're to respect our president, we're, we're, to, we're called to submit and be subject to their rule and their authority. Submission. It's just an ugly word, isn't it? Submission. Submit to those in authority. Be subject to them. I think of all the things that we do as Christians, submission is the hardest thing. Submission is hard in a marriage. Submission is hard in relationships in the community. Submission is hard when we're dealing with government and all the agencies. Submission is just really, 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 really hard for us. And mostly that's because we think we know what's best for us. We're pretty sure that we know. I'm an old guy compared to most of you, except John. Um, I'm, when I look back on my life, the greatest regrets that I have are those moments in my life when I did not submit to those that God had placed over me. 
If I can look back at the mistakes of my life, I can trace almost every one of them to places and times and events where I refused to submit to someone else. Submission is hard. It was hard for Adam and Eve to simply submit to the love of God. They're sitting in this garden and they see this tree and and Satan comes and tells Eve, hey, God's holding out on you. You have this opportunity. You can be like God. And we think, yes, we should be like God. We have a right to be like God. We ought to be like God. After all, we know what's best for us. God seems distant, far away. He's not here. We have, even in that perfect state, Adam and Eve, um, just did not appreciate, understand, or know the depth of their rebellion. I will not submit to the love of God. And we're all like that. Every one of us struggles with submission. And the problem is we think, well, what happens if I submit and the person's wrong? What happens if I submit and and they mistreat me? What happens if I submit? Oh, man, and we have this whole list of, of things that could happen. And the truth is those things could happen. So I can't tell you, well, they won't. I can tell you, however, that if you submit to those that God places in godly authority over you, that good things will come from that. Maybe not in the moment, maybe not at the time, but later. We're to be subject to authority. We're to listen and to do what we're told to do. It's not submission, by the way, it's not submission if you agree. (laughs) Somebody tells you to do something and you say, yeah, I, I could do that. That's not submission. That's just doing it. It gets a little trickier. It's also not submission if you're bartering. If you're bartering. I'll give in to you on this deal if you give in to me on this other deal, right? Eric and I had a disagreement when we started the church about infant, da- infant baptism. I, I, I was baptized as a baby, and it was really precious to me, and I thought it was a very biblical approach, and Eric came out of a whole different way of looking at baptism, and, and, he, and he and I used to argue. Well, at some point, one or the other of us had to submit Right? One or the other of us just had to say, okay, it is what it is. It doesn't mean I changed my mind. It doesn't mean that I didn't, that I was wrong or right or any of those things. All it meant was it was time for me to submit to something that I disagreed with. And I didn't get to say to him, okay, I'll give in on this one. You give in on the next one, right? Because that's not submission. Submission is I give in. By the way, it's not really submission if you're just really mad about it. Right? Stomping around, arguing. Okay, fine, I give in. We'll go do what you want to do. Kathy and I are on vacation. Okay, fine, we'll spend the day doing what you want to do. Right? That's not submission. It's not loving. And it doesn't make a good vacation, just so you know. Right? (laughs) The way to make a good vacation is, what do you want to do? And then... 
That sounds great. Let's do that. So if you're bitter and angry and you're just giving in, that's not submission and don't pretend you are. Because you're not. Submission is when you say, I submit my life, my walk, my way, my thinking to you. And God invites us to do that because authority is so hugely important to the kingdom of God. And if you can't submit to each other, you probably can't submit to God. And God calls us to submit to him because Actually, he does know what's best for you. You don't. Even when you are sure you do, you do. Matter of fact, most often when you are absolutely convinced that you are absolutely right, you might be wrong. Submission is humbly acknowledging that. Submission is humbly acknowledging that you might be wrong. Even when you're sure, like everything in my being knows I'm right about everything, right? (laughs) Otherwise, why would I hold the opinion if I didn't know I was right? I don't hold wrong opinions. I'm smart. I'm wise. I have all this stuff going for me. So if I had a bad opinion, not that I do, but if I did, then I would change it. And then I would believe whatever this new thing is that I believe. That's how we think. That's how our brains are wired. That's, that's how we do when we don't submit. So submission is humbly saying, I could be wrong, even when I'm sure I'm right. Especially when I'm sure I'm right. Submission is also humbly, humbly acknowledging that you might be right. You might be absolutely right, completely, totally, 100% correct. Whoever you're submitting to could be dead wrong. That could be true. And still, you humbly acknowledge that truth and submit to them anyway. The reason you humbly submit is that Submission to those that God places in authority over us is not our problem to fix. The issue of authority and submission to authority is the issue between God and the one who exercises authority. Guys, it is not easy to be an elder. (laughs) It is not easy to be a leader. It really isn't. It is hard. Because God calls us to a standard and he calls us to listen. It calls us to pray. He calls us to to know about you, to pursue you, to care about you, to think about you. And so we need to be slow to speak. But we also need to be in tune with God, in tune with scripture, and in tune with who you are and where you're at as we invite you into the depths of God's love and grace. The issue of authority, if you don't like it, and I suspect you're like me and you don't, uh, is always 
a situation between us and God. Sometimes you say, well, Rod, um, what happens if you just give me really bad advice? What happens if you just do something that's just awful? What happens if you say I should do X and X is just bad and it causes all kinds of problems? The thing is, you won't answer for that, but I will. I will. I'll be called to account for what I've said and done. You say, well, how does that get fixed? One of the things about all of this is that we we have to give God room to act. God doesn't act quickly. You have to allow God to do his work. You need to allow God time, his time and his way of fixing things. He will make things right. He does. He does it in his time and in his way. I want it done by Thursday, Friday at the latest. Right? I don't want to wait on God for anything ever. That's our problem. (laughs) Submission says, I will wait on God to solve the problem. Doesn't mean you're a, a... you know, push over and you just get shoved aside. You need to be clear about what you believe that God says, right? God says this. So if I tell you to do something and it comes across badly, you can say, Rod, I think this is what scripture says. And make me wrestle with that. That's not being defiant. That's not being rebellious. That's being scriptural and biblical. That's, that's called testing. And you may do that. And you should do that. But in the end, when you submit, when you say, fine, I will do what you ask of me, even though I don't agree, you are blessed, and the elder, the leader, is the one who now bears the weight of that decision. Remember that. Submission means that you have to know that you're a sinner. That you don't have it all together. That you're not really good and right and have it all, have your act together. You have to know that. You have to understand that. You are a sinner. What you also need desperately to know is that your leaders are sinners too. Bad ones. Messed up ones. Screwed up leaders. Broken. People who don't get it right. You're a sinner. Leaders are sinners. Leaders are held to account, not by you, by the way. but by God. We mess that up sometimes. We think leaders are held to account by us. They're not. They're held to account by God. We're sinners. We're all sinners. And and there's no way out of that. It's all messed up. So there's one way out. And only one way. 
It's called the gospel. It's called the good news. Go back and read verse 4. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. These words. Not because of righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. Not because of righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. That's the most important thing you'll ever hear. There's nothing more valuable than what I just said. There's nothing more precious than what I just said. You can't get it right. I can't get it right. We are in desperate need of God's mercy. If you think you're coming to church so that you can be a good person, you're just messed up. If you think that you don't need all this stuff, you're just even worse messed up. If you think you're living a pretty good life and you got your act together, you are totally messed up. Because you're blind to the truth that you are in desperate, desperate need of what God's done through Jesus Christ. He takes all of your sin and he puts it on Jesus Christ. He takes your sins that you've committed in the past. He takes your sins that you're committing right now. He takes the sins that you'll commit in the future. He takes all those sins and he takes them to the cross and he destroys their effect. Do you know right now that you are walking, if you're a follower of Jesus, you are walking in complete freedom from sin? So then why do you act like you're not? Walk in freedom for Pete's sake, people. Enjoy the beauty of what God's done. Take joy in it. Take pleasure in the good news. Submit to those who love you. Love well. Encourage each other. Rebuke each other. Invite each other to Christ. Live the gospel. God looks down on you and You've given your life to him and he sees you through the blood of Jesus and he says, that's perfection. That's exactly what I want Rod to be. That's exactly who I created him to be. And God doesn't lie. He doesn't mess up. He doesn't, he's not confused. He sees perfectly and he knows our sins. He knows our flaws. Because he's bought all of them and gotten rid of all of them for us. And here's the good news about the gospel. The good news about the gospel is it comes, Jesus Christ comes, and then his spirit comes in us to work the fruit of good news, of the good news, to work righteousness in us, to make us who we are. And the Holy Spirit comes on us so that we have the power to act and to love and to do the things we're totally incapable of doing because of what he's done. The Holy Spirit comes. And then Paul's instruction here is to 
to do good. <laughs> he says, stop, um, don't, you know, avoid all the controversies and genealogies and arguments and quarrels about things that don't matter. It's all unprofitable. It's all useless. It says, if you're being divisive, just get warned and then get ignored. He says, be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These are excellent and profitable for everyone. Why, why do you do good? Why do you do good things? Do you do good things because you feel guilty if you don't? Do you do good things because that's what mom taught you to do when you were a kid? Do you do good things because um makes you feel good inside? I love Patty Seepin, but not always so much. Because we were sitting in a session many years ago, and she said to me, Rod, you do really good things for really bad reasons. She said that. That was one of her good works, by the way. Because it hit me like a ton of bricks when she said it. I was trying to please my dad. I was trying to please my mom. I was trying to please everybody. I was working for my salvation. I, I was not doing good works because I loved people and because I was free. I was doing it out of bondage. How sick. Maybe you're that plate in that place. You're doing good because it earns you something or you think that's a way to get into heaven or, or whatever. It's not. There's one reason and one reason to do good works only. And that's out of the sheer joy and pleasure of knowing what God's done for you and just wanting to offer back what he's given to you. And if you're doing it for any other reason, you're wasting your time. You really are. Paul says we're to devote ourselves to good works. Devoting is like studying good works. It's like, it's like really working hard at studying how and to be good. It, the, devotion is a, is a really cool word. It's, like imagine you with a video game, right? Because you're devoted to the video game, right? I go home every day and I'm just, ah, I gotta get that, I gotta get to the next level. I gotta beat that monster. I gotta do this thing. I, uh, I, I'm devoted to the U of A Wildcats. If they win, I'm, it, everything's great. If they lose, I die. Um, it's, it's horrible. It's great. It's fantastic. I, I have to watch every game. If I miss one, the world comes to an end. Uh, I, I'm devoted to uh, to uh, exercise or food or uh, we have all kinds of devotion. The invitation is to be devoted to good works, not because they earn you something. Please don't make Patty say to you, "You do really good things for really bad reasons." <laughs> Let her say, "I love how you do good works." And good things. I love watching that. It's such an encouragement. I love that you do it with such joy. 
that you take such pleasure in it, that you do it out of gratitude. That's the word, right? We do it out of gratitude for what God has done for us. That's it. Do good. How are you going to do that this week? I want you to look around, see the people next to you, see people in this room. I want you to look at them and think, what good thing could I do that would encourage them, that would help them? Study, because that's what devotion is, right? Study them. What do they need? Now, some of you are right away already going down a little checklist. Well, they, they're doing fine. They don't need anything. And Oh, that person could probably... Use. Stop that. Everyone in this room is needy. <laughs> we all need good works done to us, for us. Just look around. Pick someone out, and this week, try to think of something good that you can do. That means you're going to have to know a little bit about them. You may want to talk to them tonight. You may want to find out, hey, what are you struggling with? Where's some area that you're hurting? And then plot, plan, start thinking. Let's see, how could I bless them this week? How could I encourage them this week? What do they need from me? What do I have that I could give? If you fall into the trap of, I have to do this, stop it. Don't even do anything. Just wasting your time. If you say, it's going to be so fun to drop off some food. It's going to be so fun to give them a call and telling them how much I appreciate them. It's going to be so much fun going over and cleaning their kitchen for them or fixing up their yard or and if you can't do it or you can't think about it here and you know like pick some fellow employee or or somebody in class or or some somebody who you just look around and you notice i think a lot of times we we don't we miss the holy spirit um do you ever get those twinges like like I'm driving back today from Phoenix because I was in Phoenix this morning and um, Canada all week. I've been kind of traveling a lot. Um, and I'm driving down the highway and there's a van pulled off on the side and they're trying to unload something out of the back of the van and there's kids. And so here's what I think. The highway patrolman, the highway patrol needs to come by and help them it's kind of dangerous where they're parked. And I don't know what they're doing. They're pulling something out of the back of the van. Um, hopefully the highway patrol will come and help. And then I get this little thing in my head. Um, why don't you go help them? Well, I'm busy. I, I got to go. I got to go back and preach. I, I got stuff I got to do. Uh, I can come up with a thousand reasons why I won't do it. And right away I'm stuck. I'm no longer in the joy. I'm no longer in the pleasure of how could I help. And so I turned around and I wagged my way back and then got back on the freeway again. And then I pulled in behind them, prepared to simply have the joy of helping someone. I didn't know what I would help them do. I didn't know what they needed, but I was going to help them. And then they drove off. 
Sorry. I know you were expecting a better story. <laughs> but you know what? The joy was I got to think about somebody else. I got to think about what it's like to have a couple little kids running around and you're stopped on the side of the freeway and something's wrong with, with your van. Who knows, right? I, I don't know. I just, all of a sudden I realized I wasn't thinking about me. I wasn't thinking about how tired I was. I wasn't thinking about how sore I was. I wasn't thinking about how whatever I am. I was thinking about someone else. The joy, we have to study this, right? We have to learn to study. Matter of fact, Paul, I love that Paul says it early and then, and then he, he says it again. He, he talks about being a snowbird. He's gonna go stay in Nicopolis for a, for a while. And then he says, um, talks a little bit about some people. And then he says, people must learn to devote themselves to doing what is good in order that they may provide for daily necessities and live and not live unproductive lives. So that's my invitation to you. Do good this week. Figure out something good to do. Matter of fact, kind of make that a policy. Take joy in it or don't do it. Do it gratefully or don't do it. Do it with just gratitude for what God's done for you, or don't bother. Do good. Submit. Recognize your desperate need for the gospel. And do good. Let's pray. Thank you for the good news. Thank you that every one of my sins is forgiven. Past, present, future, they're gone. Thank you, Jesus. Help me, help me, help me to be grateful. Help me to live out of gratitude. Not out of duty. Not out of any other reason, but the sheer joy of knowing what you've done. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.